Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Bench Units after a couple of weeks off recording. My name is Mark. I'm joined by James. How's it going, James? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. How are you? Good, thanks, man. Did you have a good honeymoon before we get into it with our guest? Uh, yeah, unbelievable. Sad to be back here. <laughs> uh, sad to be back. No, it was amazing. Absolutely unbelievable. Awesome. Um, but yeah, no complaints. So nice. while you were away, some news broke. And we've got what's probably the biggest surprise signing of the offseason so far. Uh, at least I thought it was anyway, until we posted on our Instagram saying what a surprise this is. And both Jan Haller and Brad Ness messaged us within five minutes and was like, well, I could have told you about this. I just chose not to. So it's not that big of a surprise. So on that note, welcome to the show, Sean Norris, newly of Hanover United, but also currently of Perth Wheelcats. How's it going, man? Good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks man. for thank being you. here. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited to have you. Um, word of word of warning: you got some big shoes to fill because Aussies typically do very well when they appear on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Tom and Neil Thorne and Yannick Blair have our two most listened to episodes ever, and oh <laughs> Brad Ness did awfully well. He would have done better, except we actually got messages from multiple non-native English speakers who turned it off because they couldn't understand his accent and they were like, yeah, there's no no point in me listening to this. So you've got that hurdle to clear, but other than that, oh we should goodness. be fine. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to be that interesting. But we'll see how we go. <laughs> the big thing is we always talk for the first 30 seconds before people realise what's happening because then it counts as a listen and then people can do whatever they want. Yeah. If, you, if you're tuning out already, have a nice day. No, <laughs> so, um, please stick around because this will be interesting. But Sean... Before we get started, I've been I've I've had this stupid gimmick that I've had for the last month or two on the episodes. So Mark's going to be a dad for the first time at the end of the year, and so everyone who's come on here, I've been offering them the opportunity to name Mark's baby. So if you have a, if you have any name suggestions, oh my god, be my guest, oh. Brad and Tom. <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know. Rudolph. I don't know. I'm bad with names. <laughs> there we go. We've got Rudolph. We've we've got a couple of decent ones. We've had a couple of people that have genuinely really tried, which is like kind of strange. I like, like how you say that you're bad with names, but you threw that one out so quickly and confidently. <laughs> like just, he hasn't taken the Christmas decorations down. That's what he's just looked behind him going, oh, there you go. <laughs> right. I'll stick Rudolph on the list of names to run past my wife and get swiftly rejected. I feel like maybe all the names we bring up, they're just going to get rejected anyway. Because yeah, like I just love, <laughs> I just love having to do this. So Mark has to go to his wife and go, "Listen, James has asked someone you don't know what we should name our yet to be born baby. What do you think about Rudolph?" Like, <laughs> and she doesn't really follow wheelchair basketball, so she would be like, "Who's that?" <laughs> like. Yeah, the the top exchange we've had out of it so far was when we had Tommy Beaumont here who suggested the name Herbert. And I texted Gabby and was like, we've just had Tommy on, he suggested Herbert, and she just replied, strong pass. And I just had to screenshot that and send it to Tommy. I was like, sorry, man, I tried. Well, I need the feedback as well. I'll, I want to know what she says about my my suggestion. That's awesome. I'll see, I'll see what we get out of this. Right. All right. So uh, we'll stop, we'll stop mucking around, will we? Um, for, well, no, we won't. But uh, first question we ask everyone who comes on here is, how did you get started playing wheelchair basketball? What's your story? Mm, actually, um, I actually started in, in swimming uh, with disabled sports uh, as a kid. Um, 
I lived in Queensland at the time. Uh, I was four years old when I had my accident. And uh, in Queensland, it's extremely hot um, all year round. One of the hottest places in Australia, if it can get any hotter. Um, and my mum thought it was a good idea, you know, sort of get out and about, get in the pool, cool down, all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, I started assuming that way. Didn't really know anything about disabled sports at the time. So I was just in like a, a local club kind of level. And, uh, you know, everyone was really nice. But uh, I moved to Perth at around nine years of age. And um, my mum just by accident found like a, a, a swimming competition for people with disabilities. And um, very, very fortunate to have found that and uh, entered into it. Uh, went down, uh, won something like four gold and, you know, Ooh. five silver or something like that and um, did really well and um, kind of got introduced to the to the um, disabled sports kind of circle here in Perth and uh, I was a bit of a um, a bit of a hoon around the pool with all the wet you know on the side of the pool so you know I was doing slides and stuff and all that and they, they thought I had pretty good chair skills so like <laughs> um, I think we should you should come try wheelchair basketball as well um, so yeah I saw wheelchair basketball for the first time at like 10 years of age and uh, never looked back I thought sport was amazing um, yeah, loved it ever and, since. And, and did you have that that early struggle where you were like a multi-sport kid and, you know, you had swimming, telling one parent, you know, no, this guy could be really good if he sticks at it and you had wheelchair basketball on the other side go, no, no, he needs to come over here. But because that's yeah. that's always I had I swam as well. And that was a real thing when I got to about 14. But I was like, I, there is one answer for me. Like it's wheelchair yeah. basketball. For a group. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I, yeah. yeah, I had the same. I had the same struggle. So. Um, in Australia, a lot of people know a guy called, um, uh, Frank, um, Frank Ponta that, uh, really started the, the disabled sport, really supported a lot of us kids growing up. If you ever speak to Justin, you know, Brad, Brad would be a big part. Frank Ponta was, was part of our lives and sort of, um, showed us all the sports that there was there, um, there to offer in, 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 um, Paralympic sports. And, um, he was always about swimming for me. He was like, look, Basketball is going to be around for a long time, but I think you should go to a pound of big games for, for swimming um, first. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because I was supposed to go to the first big games. Geez, I'm trying to think now. I'm going to really show my age here. Back in 2000, maybe Ooh. 2001, first Ooh. big games. Um, and I was actually signed up for swimming. Um, I was supposed to go and, and 400 freestyle was like my, my specialty. So I was um, locked in. And uh, I remember getting a phone call from Murray Trezeter, um at the time, the coach of the, the Rollers, yet. Yeah. Um, and I'll never forget the phone call. He's like, um, so you've got, a, you've got a decision to make, and this is a very important one. He said, uh, uh, if you want to come and play wheelchair basketball, the offer's there. Um, otherwise, go for swimming. And then I was pretty much locked in for you know, X amount of time. And uh, I, d- I don't think I even hesitated on the phone calls like that, mate. I'm coming, I'm going for basketball. So yeah, yeah. Murray has a way, doesn't he? We're yeah. gonna we're gonna have to stop you here because everyone whoever name drops Murray, we have to extract a Murray Tressida horror story from them. So so obviously <laughs> this is like a lot of the people we have on here over the years have been GB guys because obviously that's where that's where we're coming from. Yeah. And I grew up. Murray was the first GB men's coach that I ever spent time around, and. I just love hearing weird stories, but do you have do you have a little quick a quick hit weird Murray story for the people? It's very hard to find a PG one, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's very hard. And 
like I was I was 15 at the time, sort of oh. getting exposed to Murray. So um, it was quite intense. Yeah. If it wasn't like um, if it wasn't Justin sort of you know pushing me along, it was definitely Muzz from the other side. And anyone that's been coached by Muzz knows how um, how hard he was. Yeah. Um, he I looks after just... the young fellas though. That's the thing. He does, oh, he, oh, does he? <laughs> Maybe he changed after he left Australia. I don't know. Um, <laughs> All I remember is being jealous of the older guys because it seemed like all the all the senior guys that have sort of embedded themselves never really got that kind of wrath. Uh, oh yeah, at times got some um, passes, which was um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it's it was a, tough. It's interesting because I, I always thought when he came came over and he was kind of the head coach and the figurehead of the GB setup for a bit, and he kind of had this aura of this like borderline cartoonish villain status <laughs> that he he gave himself. And I always wondered if it was like just because as Brits were maybe a little bit less exposed to that kind of thing. I always wondered if when he'd been back coaching Australia, nobody had even batted an eyelid and they were just like, yeah, this is what coaches are like. But I don't mm. see what all the big fuss is about. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. you saying he was a tough guy as well. Yeah, yeah, he's rough, real rough. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's interesting what that does to you as a player. Um, if I if I reflect back on a lot of my experience and um, the coaches I've had throughout my lifetime, I think I've had a real, um, I don't know, a real a real lucky kind of um, streak. Kind of Mars coming in early as a young kid and, and instilling that hard work ethic that um, I didn't know that to be a leader at your sport, it, that's what it required. Um, and then he sort of left and went to the GB boys, and it was kind of like set free. Um, just, you know, not, not like a six defender out in court, just express yourself and um, all that hard work has been done. So, yeah, it was really interesting um, when I think back on my career, um, how things kind of played out. That's, yeah, that's that's a great way to describe Murray, like a six <laughs> defender. You're just constantly like one, two, three, four, five. Okay, where is he? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just never forget if you ever going for a left, left-hand left side layup and you just be always thinking left-hand, left-hand, left-hand. Like if you threw it up right-handed, you just know you're going to get absolutely smashed after the game, almost probably immediately subbed out and, um, you know, be pushing pushing laps on the side of the court or whatever. Yeah. But um, Yeah, that's the thing. Like he would he'd pull, he'd pull you and make you push in the middle, like which is completely insane. But also, yeah. like the amount of times I've seen him pull people up on stuff that didn't actually happen because he was blind. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's my favorite yeah. thing about him. He'd be like, "No, you need to go left hand," and someone would be like, "I did." And he'd be like, "Yeah, I, I did." I didn't like the sound of how that ball bounced out. You come and you can push laps. Yeah. But yeah, well, I, I do remember one story that probably just come back to me now. Um, I won't bring up the player's name, but. Uh, I remember they came to their first Australian um, camp and um, I don't know what it was. There was, you know, the punishments, you got whatever X up and backs. He had something like 105 up and backs or whatever it was. And he was on the other court while we were scrimmaging. And, um, you know, Muzz is like, you know, every time you turn, you call left or right and the number you're on. And um, he got caught not calling out the number or, or the direction he was turning or whatever it was. And he was told to... Um, start again from zero and he'd already gotten to something like 80 odd laps he was near the end um and uh, it just broke him and he just refused to restart and uh literally picked up his chair and left within the next 15 minutes from camp and never saw him oh, again geez. yeah so yeah pretty rough but um <laughs> that's what was required if you wanted to be part of the rollers at the time yeah but, man that's that's pretty hectic so what was your Moving on a little bit, what was your first actual experience with the Aussie rulers? 
It would have been, um, it was either 2000 or 2001 Roosevelt Games. Um, yeah, in America. So uh, really, really interesting experience as a, as a 15-year-old kid um, walking into the to the gym. And uh, I don't know if anyone, if anyone's ever been to Roosevelt, uh, well, when I was at Roosevelt, but um, the court was kind of in like a, maybe a den kind of thing and had like an upper um, walkway where you could sit up and you're literally over the top of the court um, watching people directly underneath um, on the court. And I remember coming in and it was USA versus Canada at the time. Um, and the thing that just stood, stuck in my mind was watching Paulie and Paddy going literally one-on-one in a game of five-on-five. Five. It was just surreal, you know, one guy coming down, shooting a three, Paddy come down, another three, you know, like just going at each other for 40 minutes. It was, um, yeah, it was an exciting experience to, to, to watch for the first time. So, yeah, that was my, um, my first experience. Awesome. Yeah. So your your resume as Hanover somewhat smugly announced when they um told everybody you were coming is one Paralympic gold, two silvers, two world championship gold, two bronzes. That spans from, as you said, 2000, 2001 up until you guys have just won the Asia Oceana qualifiers this year. So congratulations on that. You had a slightly compromised team. Um thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So your early runs were kind of, as you mentioned just there about, you know, Canada being peak of powers, you more or less dropped into the roller setup, right? As the Aussie Canada rivalry was set to dominate for, you know, the next three or four Paralympic games that did. What was, I guess, what was it like for anybody who, well, I don't know when we'll see another rivalry like that, but for anyone who maybe didn't watch that or, you know, hasn't been part of a, a two-team rivalry that way. What was it like being a part of that Aussie Canada clear tier above everybody else, and you know, mm. kind of just waiting for each other on the world stage every time? It's um, it's um, at the time I don't think you really realise uh, what you're in or what you're part of while you're playing. Um, you know, to go to my first Paralympic Games uh, in 2004 and go straight to a silver medal. Um, at the time with the players and the, and the the culture and the atmosphere we're in, it seemed like it was just par. Without sounding too arrogant, not really realizing how special that is to get there. Um, but now, obviously, having played, uh, I would say like the post Justin Troy Brad era, um, I kind of I I respect it more now what it actually means. So yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to think back on it. Um, and to think that, yeah, pretty much every grand final game was was us versus them. Uh, it was just like, uh, I don't know, they'd say the hunter and the hunted, just trying to chase these guys and, and become good enough to be able to win a gold medal. We knew that um, we just had to get there and, and prove ourselves on the day. We, we knew we were going to be capable of doing it, but um, it was going to take something quite special because sort of when we came on the same... It, it felt like Canada had established themselves already. Paddy had already, you know, been uh, apparently a big gold medalist and um, Joey Johnson, obviously an amazing player. And um, they had a good uh, cast of role players around them as well. So, yeah, it was tough. Um, and that's kind of why in the very, very beginning when I decided that I was going to come out to Europe, that um, I needed to do that 
to, to grow up as a, as a person, as a player, to experience new things and, and to get those repetition of games under my belt because you just can't get that here in Australia when we're playing a, you know, a 12-14 game um, season and that's all you'd get for a year, whereas in Europe you guys are playing 50, 80, however many games you are in your, um, in your seasons over there. So, yeah, that's why I made the sacrifice in the very beginning to go to Italy and, um, and Spain. And, um, yeah, see how far I could push myself when, when basketball was my main job and, and supported by a team and, you know, the money in the house and all that sort of stuff that comes with it um, cool. and not have to think about those things. Yeah. I'm going to lower your expectations. You'll play about 25 games in a season, not 80. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, I, well I, I, don't, I don't know about Germany, but, uh, well, no, you guys have the cup and everything. So as, as long as you win games, you'll play more. But <laughs> Yeah. I, like in, in saying that, like in, I'm, I'm almost counting the Australian season, the Aussie games and stuff like that. Like you count all your European games and whatever you're going to play there. And then I'm going to have my Australian commitments and then come back and play the Australian league as well. So oh, that's mad. Um, yeah. I forgot yeah. you're going to do three seasons. And yeah. So pretty yeah. much you're going back to back. When you come to Australia, you'd finish your European season. You literally fly back and then maybe you've missed one round. Maybe yeah. you, you start that you know, the next weekend or a few yeah. weekends after you get back, yeah. they're kind of scheduling quite hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More European-based guys used to do both, if I remember correctly. I know like Abdi's done back and forward and a couple of the yep. other lads used to do it. I think it's interesting that people don't anymore, but I guess international seasons, you just can't. Yeah. Like, you know, as soon as you finish the European season in GB, you're asking for your two weeks later so it's I, tough I, I for think, a few reasons i think like the, the this you you're literally following winter around and i mean australian winter is maybe not is maybe summer in some other places but um <laughs> um yeah. you know when abdi came out and played for the for the perth team um it was awesome but it's also it's a big sacrifice you know you're not getting paid um you you, you we don't really have the support for housing so you gotta just really kind kind of bunk up with a teammate or, or you know get get carried around no car kind of stuff here in australia as well so we don't really have that money here to be yeah. able to support international players i wish we did because i think it'd be an awesome experience and some players have but they really got to find their own way unfortunately yeah no of course i think that'd be a cool thing if that was open for even guys who were like just on the edge of it who really like didn't have to commit a summer to gb or a different international country yet like i think that'd be cool but if you're good enough to make Get over there, your international, like your national team is probably asking for your time over the summer. But yeah, yeah, something you said there that I find interesting is that you said you needed to move away to grow up as a person as well as a player. How much, mm-hmm. how important is that for people who haven't gone abroad and played in a different place and met new people? How how important would you say that is to go away and just grow up as a human off court? Yeah, I think it's um super important, maybe even more important than basketball itself. Um, you know, we all love the game of, of wheelchair basketball, obviously. Um, but uh, it, I think it's important not to to forget those life experiences that we can we can have along the way. I don't think a lot of play, a lot of people could say that they've been to two other countries, three other countries, or whatever they end up doing, and um, learning another language, another culture. You know, you can visit places and and kind of see what it's all about, but I don't think until you actually live in it and be part of it, and that's intrinsic with being a a team member on, on a foreign team as well. You know, you get to really experience the culture as well. Um, yeah. Cause I, th- I think those, those life experiences are um, resilience building really, you know, it's not just, it's, it's a lot of things that kind of synergize off each other um, within sport and, and, and life as well. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's super important if, if, if you're living at home with parents or whatever you're doing, or, you know, never really been at your comfort zone, 
um i think it's it's a great experience to grow up yeah for sure man um just for for reference there you mentioned going to italy first how old were you when you first like you say made that jump to to grow up i think i was i think i might have been 19 or 20 Right. I was trying to think about the other day. <laughs> it seems so long ago now. Um, <laughs> I might have been twenties, uh, late twenties, maybe even. Um, yeah, when I first when I first went. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's interesting you say about growing up because I I went away when I was eighteen for my very first year, and I was on day two living in my place, and I managed cooking myself dinner for one of the first times I ever. Managed to burn and scar myself horribly. So <laughs> it's um. <laughs> one of those things where you like look back at it and I look back at it now I don't know it might be different for you guys having both been away slightly older than me but I look back and I was like I borderline can't believe that the team I was at accepted this teenager who clearly had no idea what they were doing just rocking up and was like right here's your accommodation look after yourself be it training it's like you you guys have more faith in me than I do at this point I don't know if you guys felt the same uh... I, I did I definitely did um <laughs> I mean looking at a laundry machine you know what is this space age wizardry you know what buttons do i press what, what temperature am i gonna cook all my clothes you know like yeah <laughs> they yeah, yeah, bikinis yeah. or something I don't, I don't know so yeah i need to I, yeah i found it intimidating <laughs> in the beginning and not only that i found like trying to learn a foreign language um and you've got no commission when i was in italy um i'd asked for internet to be beyond when i first got there and it wasn't connected and um, I always tell guys the one word you've got to learn in Italy is tomorrow, domani, because yeah. everything is always tomorrow. You know, yeah. when everything, something's get done, it's always tomorrow. So um, it took them about six months to put the internet on and I hadn't really um, contacted anyone kind of back at home. I couldn't speak to my, my mother or, you know, friends or family yeah. back home for, for a fairly long time. I remember having to go to Brad's house, who I was playing with at the time, and having to like lay on the floor and, try and get Wi-Fi from the shops downstairs and stuff like that to try and speak to family. So, um, oh yeah, it was pretty crazy, that kind of stuff in the beginning. Chaos. That's absolutely insane. It's, I get that. That was maybe enough years ago that, like, Wi-Fi wasn't a hard and fast requirement as it as it would be now. But, like, that's... Can you imagine anyone showing up and having, like, a similar experience these days? They'd be out... They'd be, like, handing their notice into the team. <laughs> like the yeah. Be like, right, yeah. I'm out of here. No and I found that interesting with speaking with the people from Hanover, you know, like um, like all this stuff that I think of, like, oh, is the internet is like, why are you even asking this question? It's almost like, yeah, this is a, this is all good. Like, you don't have to worry about it, you know? So um, it's amazing. Yeah. That's Things nice. have obviously moved a very, very, very far, um, long way. Well, that's good to hear because your um your lasting opinion of Europe is probably, probably that it's just like an entire continent with no Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> like that it did fit like that yeah <laughs> should we finish off some of the national team stuff before we move on to club yeah, or we see we get sidetracked like you said yeah. five different things that could move us on to hanover <laughs> but we're trying to finish there yeah. <laughs> we've got so many bits that we just delete but so one thing you mentioned um you mentioned kind of how you almost fell into the you know your first silver medal and whatever and what that set the expectation that you know this is just what happens at tournaments and you mentioned the kind of moving on from Justin and Brad and Troy and those other guys so you're essentially part of like the group that's bridging um the rollers from kind of the previous generation to new one like yourself Tristan Knowles 
probably Brett Stibner's up until a couple of years ago. I don't know if you want to count Yannick in this because he's obviously been around since he was like 16 or whenever he first made his tournament. But um, what's it been like kind of shepherding the the younger guys who are coming through into maintaining the very, very high standards that you guys have set for yourself over the, you know, the previous generation and all the years that you've put into it? It's been challenging um, for numerous reasons. Obviously, uh, when the generations change, there's there's kind of different mindsets and and, and um, culture. But we we try to have the same role as DNA. You know, the, the hard work obviously needs to be done, um, and that's entrusted upon the players. That if you come to a camp or or a tournament and you're sort of underdone, you, you we are going to see it and we're going to know that. So um, to be part of the squad. There is expectations, um, but yeah, it's uh, obviously a very, very different style of game now, and it's obviously been a learning experience for even myself um, to go from a real our uh, game to a, a much more mid lineup, and, and who knows where we're going to be going um, going forward. But um, yeah, real, real learning curve for me. Um, but obviously, players like you know Tom O'Neill Thorne come along and, and change the complexion of everything, you know. So yeah. um, it really is just what players come along at the time and 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 what we can build um, and build together as a, as a squad. Yeah. And how was it? How did it feel for you to go from? Obviously, you spoke about learning off guys like Justin and Brad as a young kid coming into these camps to being that guy for other people. Do you ever? Like, does that ever weigh up, weigh upon you, or is that just part of it? Yeah, it definitely does weigh on me because I, I know who I am naturally. I think I'm a more relaxed, laid back kind of person. Um, I don't really like talking too much. I find my life quite boring, to be honest. Um, whereas someone like Justin um, come along um, into my life, and again, like Muzz, really showed me the day to day work that's required to to be good. You know, so. Um, I've been influenced by a lot of players that um, have sh- really shown me the way and, and what needs to what needs to happen. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I try to take bits and pieces from everyone's kind of style, but I know at the end of the day, I can only be me. I've tried to, you know, emulate things to some degree, but it just never really works out. It's just important just to be yourself and, um, you know, just take those experiences you learn throughout life and, and take them forward to, to everyone else and um, pass it on, really. Yeah. When you, um, this is just to loop us back to earlier in the episode, but when you say the expectations of hard work and stuff that come with being part of the rollers, do you ever look at the new generation of kids or younger guys coming through and be like, I wonder what would happen if we brought Murray in for just like one camp <laughs> to deal with these guys? Like, He probably still just walks in. You just hear the like step, thud, step, thud. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it be- it's been interesting, actually, because Mus has been around. He has been to some oh, camps really? and stuff. And to be honest, I've been kind of shocked because because Muzz has been very, very relaxed and quite nice from my point of view. Yeah, like, uh, what's going on here? Where was um, this like? I don't think Murray could walk into your national team stuff now. Like, if he walks in and you go righty on a left-handed layup and he goes, nah, Sean, baseline, give me yeah. 72 up and back, you'd think about <laughs> it. You'd, you'd have to be like, hold on, you're not my coach anymore, but... Surely, I'm in like that older squad now, where I get, you know, I get the the pass. You know, yeah, you're like, sure Norris, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> but like, I, I do wonder, like, if if I was like shooting on my own 
at home in Belfast, thousands of miles away from where Murray is. If he walked in, saw me miss a layup and was like, nah, baseline. Would I get to the baseline before I went, hold on. <laughs> this is my own set. But yeah, he just has that. He's just in here, man. He yeah, just he is. follows you. Um, so I guess la- last point on the kind of roller stuff before we talk a little bit about, you, about your club career. As we mentioned, you guys have uh, won the Asia, Asia Oceania Championships. You've qualified for the Worlds in Dubai. How are you guys feeling going into uh, the Worlds tournament following your last couple of results where you got a bronze in Hamburg and you guys finished fifth in Tokyo, which have been kind of your first two tournaments with more of the new generation than the old group, I guess. Yeah. Um yeah, Tokyo was obviously a little bit disappointing. Um, if I remember correctly, you know, if I, I think I listened to Tom's podcast, I think he, he briefly talked about um, some of our struggles and stuff leading up into it. Like the fact that Australia had been pretty much into a three-year lockdown and um, I played uh, eight-odd games in three years. Nice. Um, it's uh, It was tough. It was really, really tough um, from that point of view. But now that things are starting to pick up and be a little bit normal, hopefully we can get a few more um, international games leading in and, you know, go a couple of countries and, and play some more games as rollers. Um, hopefully we can get back on track and um, sort things out. Obviously we need to fix a few things, um, try and kind of change our style and, and tighten it up a little bit more. Um, and, yeah, just hear feedback from the coaching staff and, and, and see what's possible. I, I definitely know on our day that we could win it all, but, you know, I think that the, the way the international game is at the moment that uh, really anyone could win it, um, especially those five, six top teams, in my opinion, you know, on the day, if they're, if they're firing, um, you know, it's on for everyone. So I'm confident the boys are boys are all right, but the boys are looking good. Um, we just need to come together and, and really have that game time exposure as a group. Sure. Mm. Awesome. Um, and I guess on that note, we'll move into talking about your Australian league career because obviously most of the Aussie guys, as you mentioned, have either been in Australia or they've just got back from Europe and kind of piled straight into their second season. So this is the last stint of Aussie season before the Dubai World. So you're once again with Perth Wheelcats as you've been seemingly your entire career outside of your trips to Europe. Um, so how's the season shaping up and maybe not just for you guys, but kind of, I guess, how's the quality of the Aussie league looking and is it, is it giving you faith in the, you know, the players who will obviously be going into the selections for the rollers and all, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we only just got back from, um, from a national league weekend. Oh, when's this going to go on? Is this, is this going to go up? soon is uh, it? tomorrow morning we hope okay so yeah last weekend we we had our um had our games in sydney so um unfortunate to some degree that there's only four teams in the league this year um but in saying that the, the teams have really consolidated as well so you know some players kind of shifted around and and um and stuff like that so it is quite strong across the board um every game's competitive no one's getting blown out um, so yeah, happy with, happy with that, um, how things are looking at the moment throughout the, the Australian league. Um, and a couple of the Perth boys, I don't know if you've seen them, obviously Tom McHugh, who's going to be going to, to Hanover with me. Um, there's two other boys from Perth as well. Um, 
Ben Moncrief and, and Frank Pinder as well, young kids that have been really developing over the last few years that probably no one's seen because of COVID. We haven't really left Australia. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really happy uh, with the way things went last weekend. Uh, got two out of three wins. And uh, the game that we did lose against uh, last year's um, league champions, it was pretty close up to the buzzer. So, um, yeah, happy with the way things are progressing and, and the boys developing. Um, Great stuff. That's yeah, really good. It, is Frank Pinder the one with the Captain Caveman hair? Is that the one? The guy? <laughs> There's a lot That's of mullets him. going yeah. on, man. A lot yeah, of the mullets in that league. <laughs> That's the most mullets per player in any league I've ever seen. Maybe, maybe. Maybe you can bring it to the the German league next year, but nah, oh, love chaos, it. man. <laughs> I think he was talking about maybe cutting it soon. So I've never seen him without it from from the very first moment I, I met him. So um, it would be interesting to see if he shaved it all off. It, him sh- him shaving his mullet off is like when so- the day before someone starts secondary school and they decide they like need an instant overhaul to make themselves the cool kid when they arrive. He's like, man, I can't show up to Germany with this mullet. Can and will. I believe in it. He he may well. It's it's nothing to do with me. All right. So just more broadly, zooming out for a second, um, you've obviously been, you've been in Europe for like a little stint, but you've spent the majority of your career in the one place. Why is that? Yeah, um, well, you know, I had that four-year stint where in the very beginning and I came back to, to Perth because I, I really felt like um, I'd miss my friends and family and um, it was really kind of odd when I came back. It felt like life had moved on and I kind of stayed still at that point in time. Um, I felt like I'd had the reps under my belt with with basketball and, and things were kind of changing also within the, the roller squad. So, um I thought it was important at that point in time to try and find um, my footing um, in regards to work and and things external to basketball. So, um, yeah, since I've pretty much been back in Australia, I'd been working full-time up until last month. So, yeah, for the last seven, eight years, I've I've been working full-time and kind of playing basketball um, every morning. So, yeah, I just I just felt like it was time for me to um, think of other things besides just basketball and, and really focus on on setting up my my post basketball career. Fair enough. What what do you do? What do you do as a as a day job when you're not play, when you're not playing basketball? I'm 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 a cloud consultant, so I majority work in Microsoft three six five um, uh, as a consultant. So it could be really anything: um, device management, security. Um, all the IT related stuff, really. Um, okay, interesting. Listen, I didn't didn't realize you were a fellow techie, Sean. We can go into business together. It'll be great. Oh, what do you uh, do? I'm a I'm a software developer. Oh, unreal! Oh, way more smarter than me, man. I I couldn't. Yeah, I can't program for my life. So I think the people I work with would tell you otherwise. But thank you. Um, they never see you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. You got a new job mid pandemic, and no one's ever met. <laughs> Valid. You'll go uh, into the office for the first time in six months and they'll be like, is this kind of wheelchair? <laughs> I actually, I actually did, did do that a little bit ago, actually. I went in and realized I'd just never mentioned it to anybody. And they all looked at me as if I just like had an accident that morning. Oh. And, like, cra- crawled to a nearby skip and like put a, wh- put a wheelchair together out of like scaffolding and stuff like that. Yeah, they looked at, like, looked at you like you had an accident. You went, no, I've just spilt my coffee. <laughs> 
Good You're all awake. Sorry, that's right. dreadful. <laughs> Let's get this back on the road. On. <laughs> um, so, Sean, you mentioned and you said you listened to Tom's episode. Um, so you, you've actually unwittingly, you've driven that even further up the leaderboard. I'm sorry to tell you. But um, we've got work to do. Tom mentioned when we spoke to him about he brought you up for one reason or another and um, said that he feels like you constantly alternate between considering retirement and considering going back to Europe on a year by year basis. Um, obviously, you've made the plunge now to you know go to Hanover and be in Germany for the first time. But year, kind of year by year, what's been... Is it the fact that you're kind of set up in Perth with a stable job and whatever else that's not made you want to, you know, pack all that in for the sake of moving across the planet for a year or so? Or are you just super happy living where you live? And is the Aussie League and the training that you get in enough to sustain you, do you think? That's an interesting question. And yeah, I, yeah I, I'm not really too sure even now, but um, if, I, if I really um, speak through my uh speak of my uh, process of what i've been going through um obviously work has been a full-time thing for me and um the thought of like packing up and stopping that has kind of stopped me for a long while um but i feel like now that i've done it for so many years that i i've got that experience now under my belt and if i'm going to commit to paris and and, and finish it off there that i really need to give it a good shot and and, and get, put myself in the in the best place to to be able to train and um have game time experience and, and all those things i spoke about before um so that's that's the majority reason of why um i've decided to come back and, and play in europe and um just yeah enjoy the last few years really of my, my basketball career because i think i think this is going to be it i don't think i can um perform it's already um, much well, harder now than it's been in the past according to tom you say this is going to be it every year so I yeah and that's true. I mean, like, it, it's, I won't lie, it's, it's been difficult also to have a, a readjustment from, as I said, the, the very start of my career to be go straight to silver and gold medals to, you know, finishing fifth and, and sixth in Rio and stuff like that. It's been, it's been a challenge. Um, but also in saying that it's been a new, a new challenge with the guys coming through and being more of a leadership role and trying to re reestablish that, um, what the role is is capable of doing because um, if you consider how many players we really have to choose between in Australia there's, there's it's not like in USA and, and some other countries where you have a lot of disabled athletes playing wheelchair basketball um, I think it's a testament to to our program and our culture and, and the way we push each other along so I'm hoping that um, I can perform obviously um, in the next two three years and you know do my best I can for Hanover and, and bring back some of that, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is that I can do um, to whoever else wants to play with me. Awesome. Um, and I guess on that note, as we, as you've said, you've kind of thought about it at times and you've, you know, decided to stay based in Australia for the, that's what felt like the right thing at the time. Do you have any moments now where maybe you got an offer in from a European team that you turned down? Do you look back at any of those and be like, ah, well, I should have taken that? Nah, nah, not to, to be honest, not really. Um, I've been yeah, quite set in my my mindset that it was clear. Um, and it's been quite flattering, you know, obviously teams still reaching out and asking me if, if I want to play for them. So it's been quite nice. 
um, to know that I've still got it to some degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like now's the right time. I've set myself up um, with work and, you know, I've, I've quit that now. So um, I'm fully committed to, to coming over and playing and, and, and seeing what I can do. Awesome. Happy days. Shall, right, talking about coming over, shall we go on or do you have anything else you want to hit before, Mark? Um, yeah, I guess I just have one point we've got jotted down here is you've obviously kind of, as you mentioned, you went away to Italy early. You then came back and you've been you know, back for a long time with the exception of your year in Spain. I think there's been a pattern from Australia to some extent, but maybe from other countries as well. Um, the UK probably as much as anywhere where guys are hitting 18 and just bolting to Europe because wheelchair basketball is a paid enterprise. And, you know, that's your job and your life. Do you think that maybe some kids are, are doing themselves out of, you know, some potential skill development or working with coaches of their national team if they're heading to Europe too early? Are you glad you've had the time back in Australia in terms of your own development? And would you encourage people to to look at that a bit more than maybe they do? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, it's interesting because I'm, I'm going to really have to try and catch up with everything that's kind of happening in Europe at the moment. I watch it from time to time, but I'm not really kind of in it um, until I get there. So it, it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, I think probably more than anything that it's important for us all to, to not forget um, – of where we all started and what we can really, you know, push forward to the next generation. And, and I do find that challenge um, exciting uh, for myself. So I, I don't know what person, I, per- I think personal development outside of basketball can be missed, especially when you, when you're wrapped up in the European season and, you know, getting paid to, to play wheelchair basketball. I think it's important that we, we all don't forget that, we need a life after basketball and, you know, to be able to support ourselves and our families and, and everyone around us. So um, basketball is not going to be there forever and it's, it's going to finish for all of us at some point in time, which, you know, we all don't really want to admit, but, you know, not even I want to give it up because I haven't obviously given it up for, for so long, but um, yeah, I think probably personal developers may be um, at risk, but uh, that, you know, everyone's, you know, I think by 18, hopefully by 20, you, you know, you're, you're adult enough to make those decisions for yourself and what you want to do with your life. So, cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. Right. Shall we talk Hanover then? Because that's why we're here. Yeah, we've got about 45 minutes into people being like, talk about Hanover. We've <laughs> held you on. We've held you off for long enough. So, so your third stint in Europe, obviously, you've a couple of years in Italy you've spoken about, and then you had a year with Fundosa. Two years, actually. Two years. Oh, ago. two years with Fundosa. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I've got that wrong. Wikipedia, no, right. Wikipedia lied to us. I oh, did it. <laughs> I don't think that's been updated for like ten years. Yeah, Wikipedia lied to you, and if I asked Terry <laughs> for the details, he wouldn't remember because he's been around <laughs> for fifteen years anyway. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So why why Fundosa at the time? Who was there? Mm, Terry, um. Obviously. So. Terry, I think Terry had just signed up and he just uh, committed with me. I think, where were we? Because um, I remember speaking to him. Was I in Beijing? I might have been in Beijing when he um, said he was Terry going. T- Terry told us when he was on here that I think he went there post-Beijing. I don't know if it was immediately yeah. or if he was yeah, back. Was. back yeah, that would make sense. Yep, that'd be right. And um, Josh Turek had obviously been there for a few years. Um, and Beijing, then a couple... Beijing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and then a few of the few of the Spanish boys, national team boys, um, Rafa and stuff like that. So cool. Yeah. All right, I just love hearing like this guy played for this team on this year, and did you know that guy was also there? Because it's like <laughs> it's not wheelchair basketball isn't really tracked pre twenty twelve really. Yeah. So I, I love hearing all this stuff. Like I well, to, to, I to even know that like you guys are doing a podcast and you know Ayaka is obviously massive on Instagram. You know, see all these kind of social media things that weren't that weren't around at all when I was playing. So um, yeah, it's definitely moved on a fair way, I would say. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. So then the next question is why Hanover and why now? I know you've kind of given mm. the why now a bit of it already, but mm. yeah, why Hanover? Um, yeah, I, I'm not too sure. Like I, I was pretty set on Germany personally because I haven't been there yet. Um, okay. And just to get that new experience, uh, maybe another language, you know, if I can, if I can learn that in two years. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, another challenge there. But also I just like the idea of what they're kind of building in Hanover at the moment, you know, the co- kind of coming up and um, what from what I understand, you know, quite close to being at the top, but not quite there. And, you know, can we, can I push them over or am I able to, to give them enough um, – you know, experience or whatever it is I can give to them or whatever they need or want me to do, um, can can that be done? So uh, I just think it's an exciting um, opportunity. But also they they had the uh, the package there with Tom McHugh as well. So that was another big thing, that, that the fact that we could both go together and um, kind of set him loose in, in Europe and, and see what he's capable of too. So to be part of that experience for him, um, and whatever he's going to do with his life as well um, is exciting to me too. Yeah, that's fun. And you mentioned they're obviously going over to a league that has been two team based for the longest time, as long as anyone can remember at this point. It's been Landil and Duringen just battling it out, sharing cups for the last couple of years. How does it feel to go over there and maybe have the chance to upset that sort of stuff if, you, if things fall right? Yeah, it's exciting. It's a good challenge, I think. And obviously those guys are, you know, they're, they're well-cast players, got great teams, and, and it's going to be an exciting challenge um, to see what we can do um, and if we're capable of, of, of beating them on our day. So, yeah, just um, I'm trying not to think about it too much right now because it's getting me quite excited. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just see how it goes and, and what we're capable of when you get there. Hopefully I can I can bring something to the team that's um, of value. Yeah, sure. I think one thing I found really interesting, Sean, was that, I think up until now, Hanover have shown they have an eye for young talent. Um, Amit Vigoda was obviously there last year. Who I, I don't know if you've seen any of his um, footage with them from last season, but I think that kid's going to be dangerous for a number of years going forward. Um, when they signed Tom McHugh up, who admittedly I'd not seen a lot of, that seemed to follow the pattern of you know these this team ropes talented guys in earlier and mold to them. Um, The one thing that they hadn't really shown was that they could attract an established world-class player from the other side of the world, because obviously there's some exceptions as in like Jan Haller is obviously a a local guy to Hanover. So he was moving home to go there. Mariska is obviously the best women's player in the world or one of, but she is at Hanover realistically because it's driving distance from the Netherlands. She's not uprooted her entire life to to move there. So the signing of you going there is almost kind of blazing the trail of putting this team on the map a little bit in terms of, you know, they've now shown they can they can pull in somebody to really help them. So 
when you signed up there was that kind of something that was on your mind in terms of legitimizing this team a little bit or did you just kind of see Hanover and be like yeah this would be cool um probably yeah I, I don't I don't want to say like I feel like I can come in and you know totally change the dynamics of a team and you know lift them up to be you know champions cup winners or whatever you know but um <laughs> yeah I, 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 steps on that one yeah I, I feel like um, it'd be exciting. It's it's a new challenge. It's obviously not um, whatever their 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 history or pedigree is 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 um, it's not really too important to me. Um, obviously, I want to win. Yeah, I do want to win, and I, I want to win at all costs. But um, at the same time, I think uh, it's it's important not to forget that experience and um, enjoyment of just playing wheelchair basketball too. So, yep. Sure. Um, I'm always waiting for us to ask a question and put our stint, our put our spin on it, and be like, "So, what is this? What is this about legacy? Is this about changing the perception of a team?" And I just love someone being like, "Yeah, I'm going to play basketball, like <laughs> push chair, push chair, put ball in hoop." <laughs> the, the official it's a complicated game. The, the official marker that we've overthought it and that everyone is actually just be like, hey, it'd be pretty cool to go and play basketball professionally and not worry about anything else. Um, so I guess we should ask you at this point about your um, protege, Tom McHugh, that you're taking with you because he's, like I said, he's pretty new on the scene for us. Uh, I think he, it was his role as debut at this past um, AOZ tournament. Is that right? Yep, that's right, um, yep. It's obviously a great experience for him moving abroad at such a young age, and he's getting to do something that not many young guys moving abroad get to do, which is take a you know a veteran existing teammate with him. So was that kind of talked about between you two in advance um, when it got obvious that the Hanover ha- signing was happening at one point, or was mm. this more kind of? Did he sign up first, and you were like, "Oh, do they need a three by any chance?" Or what was the what was the dynamic of you guys becoming a package deal? Um, well, I had heard on the on the grapevine that they may be looking at like a mid and a high um, at some point in time. But uh, I did speak to Tom and just asked him, you know, if 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 he wanted to do this, and that, you know, if he wanted to, I might come with him. And and you know, would he enjoy that? Because um, obviously, I don't want to encroach upon him as well. Because as you said, I, th- I feel like maybe Hanover has like had a history of younger guys and building up um, things. So I feel like maybe maybe I'm the exception. I don't know, um, or maybe they're just bringing an old guy along and trying something different. Who knows? Um, so yeah, it was it was something that me and Tom spoke about, and uh, when he said he was interested and wanted to do it, that's um, when I kind of committed and said, yeah, all right, let's let's do it together. So and see what we can do. Imagine building a team and signing a young forward and being like, hey, we're also looking for a three. Do you know anyone? And then be like, hey, what about that Sean Norris guy? <laughs> Do you think they were like, um, uh, yeah. or were they like, could you ask your friend? Can you ask your friend? <laughs> I love it because everybody who everybody who gets signed up and the team asks them, you know, do you know anyone? they tend to have to be like, well, there's this guy who plays for this club back in wherever I'm from, and I promise you he's really good. I wonder if Tom McHugh is like, no, I don't know if you've heard of him, but there's this guy, Sean Norris, who, you know, there's a track record to suggest he might be all right. You should have a look into him. Look him up. Yeah. Um, Thanks, guys. (laughs) um, 
I guess la last question, because we, well, not last question, but last sub question on this topic. Um, we acknowledged early doors that we spoke to Jan Haller ahead of Hanover hosting Euro Cup in April. And we didn't know at the time, but we'd just spoken to Tom O'Neill Thorne, who had said that you guys um, himself and you were both looking at coming back to Europe. So we jokingly brought up to Jan Haller that there was a couple of Aussies you know, available for signing and he kind of shrugged and laughed it off and has only admitted to us recently that you guys, yourself and Tom, were more or less in place in April, which seems like a, a long time to have had this, you know, agreement um, ready to roll. So what was kind of the process of this being decided so unusually early? Um, and was that just because you guys wanted to get yourself bolted down and you wanted to get the wheels rolling on leaving your job? Yeah, it was for me personally, it was more like the job side of things to have, you know, that that lead time into whatever I'm going to do um, for work. So that was that was definitely part of it. But also, I guess I'm a little bit out of sync with the European season as well, too. So um, I don't know what's the right um, etiquette these days when it comes <laughs> to, to signing up and stuff as well. But um, in saying that, um, yeah, I'm happy with an early decision to go to Hanover. I feel like it's um it's going to be an exciting experience. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I guess on the same note as that, obviously, maybe this it doesn't apply to you as much as other people we've spoken to because you did sign up so early. But in terms of finally deciding on Hanover, did you have any other offers or options on the table? And if so, did you take this one? Why did you take this one over any of them? There was a few, but as I said, like the the the, the main thing was is the fact that I could come with with Miku as well, um, cool. and, and, and yeah, enjoy that kind of different look at it as well. Cool. So when it comes to on court stuff with Hanover, is it is there a challenge going to a team and kind of balancing fitting in with what you've seen they do versus being Sean Norris who has this style of play that mm -hmm. kind of, but I think how you play obviously you can like it kind of that can plug in anywhere right yeah I, I feel like yeah obviously it's 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 always a challenge um and it's i think it's really important to obviously not step on anybody's toes but um maybe sometimes it's a little bit impossible depending on on on, on the players that are there or, or whatever but um really uh i do have a style of game that i do want to play but at the end of the day it's up to the coaches and and, and the club what they want me to do um, while I'm there. So maybe they want me to play a little bit bigger. I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty small by international standards these days. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be really up to the team and the club and what they want me to do. I'm more than happy to just slot in and, and do what I'm told. So, um, yeah, obviously I'm going to have my feedback and, and my style of game um, at the same time. You heard it here for Sean Norris is playing on the block and how to... <laughs> Sean Norris is playing on the block in a max height chair. Yeah, well. I should go super max. I've always thought about it. Just like tennis, tennis umpire sevens on it, just gigantic, <laughs> just off the screen. I love that. You, to be fair, you might might need it in Germany going up against guys, the guys at Thuringen and wherever else. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I guess last um, last question on the Hanover front is, what do you see? your goals being for this coming season? Obviously, you've talked a little bit about kind of upsetting the status quo of it being a 
being two teams and then everybody else. But where where would you like Hanover to be by the end of the coming season? Mm. Um, obviously, like I want to be winning everything is is really like what I want to do. Um, sorry about that. My dogs are going mad in the background. Hopefully, you can't hear them too too much. But um, yeah, I, I obviously uh, yeah want to win it all. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's I think it's more important just to be building something um, solid, a good foundation, um, the the right things, the yeah, however they want us to play the game, um, first and foremost, and just see what we can do from there. Um, I would obviously still love to win a, a European Championship um, at the highest level. Um, I, yeah, if that's possible or not, I don't know. But um, yeah, just taking a game at a time and trying to upset the. Uh, the two big teams, obviously, would be nice yeah. to start with. Nice one. Awesome. I think that, that's been, ever since your signing was announced, the line I've heard more than any other from, you know, people who follow what we do or whatever is Hanover are going to score an upset on one of the big dogs this year. And I think that yeah. line might, might have been said enough times that, that those guys might be ready for you at this point because I'm sure that they think the same thing. But obviously that that's exactly why you're there, isn't it? Is to play against the best teams who are giving you their best shot. You wouldn't want anything less from it than yeah. that. Yeah, and they're obviously they're fantastic teams, so it's going to be tough. And uh, just yeah, see what we can do, really. Right. right, James. Shall we hit some questions from yeah. listeners? Sure. Will we do a couple each? Yeah. We. <laughs> so we've got. Um, for people listening, we've had so many questions into this episode that we just can't get through them in any timely fashion. So we're just going to pick a couple that haven't already been um, kind of covered off by what we've talked about already. So fire away, James. Cool. Um, any players in particular that you're looking forward to playing against? Oh, you've probably played um, everyone at this point. Yeah. Like. yeah um... Obviously, there's going to be a few guys I've never really seen, maybe on the international stage from from um, international basketball, but uh, no one really sticks to to mind at the moment, to be honest. Obviously, all the Aussie boys and, and seeing them in their clubs is going to be good fun. Um, yeah, no, 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 unfortunately, sorry. No, there's no one that really sticks to mind. You, you'll develop a nemesis over the year, I'm sure. But... <laughs> Probably, knowing my white line fever, for sure. And I apologise in advance to anyone that I um, offend throughout the season. <laughs> right. Um, so you mentioned your um, your chair setup a second ago there with how you say you're relatively small. We've had a question in um, saying, how did you end up with your unique chair setup that you have? Oh, that's actually a good question. Because um, so here in Perth, we had a... a a uh, guy, unfortunately, is not around anymore, but um, I was very, very young at the time and uh, he, he made wheelchair bas- uh, basketball chairs, day chairs, all kinds of stuff, and he'd really been um, doing a lot of the stuff. I know when RGK first, they, they moved a factory or, or, or bought some space out here in Perth to build some chairs here for a little while. There was like a year or two. I don't know how long they did it here for, but um, when they're doing that... Uh, he he really just did everything for me um, and had this idea of, you know, kind of making this style of chair that was a little bit more nimble and um, some other things that could maybe set me apart from most players. And um, I just really listened to him, to be honest, in the very beginning, just said, yeah, look, whatever you reckon's the, the best uh, chair to make and 
it's just really kind of stuck with me, I guess. Um, I don't know what's quite unique about it, though. I know it's quite short and it's maybe it turns a little bit more than most chairs, um, stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's short in the front. Like, I think that's yeah. like, and also a lot of, a lot of kind of tall threes sit like that now or similar. Mm. But yeah, mm. it is quite I think short. it's that kind of weight over the front of the chair. If you take that out, kind of um, makes it a bit more snappy to be able to turn. You know, but obviously the downside is you can't really post anyone up. So um, those people can really get in your face, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. What else we got? Okay. Um, can you tell us about a defining moment in your career? Whoa. <laughs> a couple. Um, uh, one, what, the, probably the biggest one was at the very beginning. So um, I was never really part of the the starting five for the rollers. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I'd been trying for a long time uh, to be part of that starting group. I'd had a, a few um, exceptional games leading up to Athens in 2004. And um, I remember the, the, the morning of or the night before the grand, grand final game, the gold medal game, um, Murray pulling me aside and saying, look, uh, we're going to do something here. And just to prepare you, you're going to be in the starting five tomorrow in the, in the gold medal game. And I'll just never forget, like, having that responsibility yeah. um, thrown on you, like, in, in the, like, the biggest game of your life, sort of, you know, going up for, for a gold medal game in, in a Paralympic Games and, and being part yeah. of the starting five. Um, that was quite special, um, quite a special moment. Sure, that... If that had come from anyone other than Murray, I think I would have been overwhelmed. But I think if Murray had said that to me, it would have felt like a practical joke. <laughs> he would have waited till you pushed out on court and would have been like, where do you think you're going? I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, true. Like, no, I, ju- I just told you that because I wanted you to push really hard in the warm-up. You're actually, actually sitting on the bench. <laughs> and but, he would have let you like high-five their starters before the ball gets thrown up as well. Like You would have let it get that far. <laughs> All right. Right. And to close, Sean, so uh, obviously you've not followed us for very long and this is a gimmick we do during the season uh, where we have an entirely fictional concept which we refer to as the bench unit's belt, which we typically give out. It's meant to be like performer of the week as the season's going on, but there's no criteria to it or really any strict rules as to who it can or can't be given to. It's just whatever we feel like in any given week. So being that there's not many games on, we're asking our guests who they would like to award the bench units belt to. Obviously, there are games going on where you are. So if you have an exceptional performer, then it can go to them. Or if you just want to shout out somebody in the world of wheelchair basketball, they can be given the belt for a valid or made up reason. I'll I'll go from my experience from last weekend. I think Tristan Knowles had a really, really exceptional weekend. Um, he, I think he lit up everyone in the entire league. So um, kind of continued that uh, Thailand shooting that he had. Um, yeah, I'll give it to him. There we go. He was phenomenal in Thailand, actually. I'd, I'd yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I have one question about Thailand before you finish. Sorry. Why did all the games end 45-42? Was, <laughs> was it just too hot or... Oh, man, it was so hot. I've never been – like, I'm in Australia, and this place was ridiculous. Like, the humidity was 
yeah. outrageous and it was like 35 degrees it felt like it was 5000 couldn't breathe properly sweating immediately upon like leaving the bus to even get on before you even get onto the court so um it was it was crazy but um also we were trying a lot of new things so um we did have to kind of sort it out and 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 get to some sort of resemblance of playing wheelchair basketball, which uh, took us a bit of time. So, yeah, it was a bit grim there in the beginning. Fair enough. Um, Right. I think that's everything from us, man. So, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. And we we really can't wait to watch you in Hanover next year. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for being here. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, That's us for another episode. We'll be back either with someone or without someone we don't know yet next week. Uh, Talk to you then. Cool. Cheers, guys. Peace out.